Ayo, welcome into CHGO White Sox pre, uh, postgame show presented by PointsBet. Use promo code CHGO when you sign up to get two risk-free bets up to $2,000. Welcome into Studio A of our CHGO offices here in the West Loop of Chicago. I'm Sean Anderson. You can follow me on Twitter at Sean underscore W underscore Anderson. Alongside me, as always, is the full CHGO White Sox crew. We have Vinny Duber. Follow him on Twitter at Vinny Duber. He's the CHGO White Sox beat writer and Herb Lawrence. Hello. You can follow him on Twitter at Ecknerwall23. He's the CHGO White Sox community leader. We are joining you after a White Sox victory. 5-3, to three, they win in Baltimore, splitting the first two with the Orioles, improving to 63-61 and 61 on the year. They are four games back of the Guardians in the Central, and currently Minnesota is losing, so the Sox can be tied with the Twins at second place of the AL Central if that score holds. Herb, how you feeling after three hours of baseball? How's the back holding up? Back is still kind of tight. Uh, pinch nerve does not go away quickly as I wanted to, but the game was awesome. We got great performance from Lucas Giolito and another good game by Gavin Sheets coming back home in his hometown of Baltimore. So I'm feeling awesome, even though I know the White Sox are still four games behind those Cleveland Guardians. And it's good to see Jack Kwiatkowski, who said, Vinny, I'm sad yesterday. He said, I'm a little less sad. Still sad, though. How are you feeling? Uh, I mean, I'm fine. I'm great. <laughs> I, I have nothing to be sad about. But uh, certainly I'd encourage everybody else to not be sad either. Yeah, hey, why be sad when the White Sox have these many singles to provide to you? Or, you know, there are other things like friends, loved ones, you know. Life. Marvel movies. You know, there's there's all sorts of good things out there. DC movies, those will make you sad. See, mm-hmm. I mean, on purpose at that. The only the, the only two Marvel movies I've seen are Iron Man and Iron Man 2. Oh, well, you wow. should, you've got about 25 of them left to go. You know, it doesn't sound great. That sounds oh, like you, watching they, the White Sox hit 20, like 25 straight games of the White Sox hitting 12 singles. Absolutely not. That's like a 25-game winning streak right there. But with my attention span, movies and me just don't go well. Oh, okay. I mean, I so know. this is more of a you problem. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You haven't <laughs> seen Black Panther or uh, Endgame? No. Come on. I've seen Come on. I'm, not even a, I'm not even a guy like that, and I've seen those movies. You've awesome. never seen a Star Wars. So you should not. Yeah, you're but both. I've, you're both bad. But I've seen. I've seen all of all of them. So I've seen Inf- <laughs> the Avengers go. movie. It was great. Endgame, great movie. And he's you know he's hauling up Hulk over Hogan. there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Seriously, just start flexing and showing <laughs> off and everything. Uh, Gavin Sheets doing his best Hulk Hogan impersonation. Uh, hey, he looked great today. Sebi Zavala drew a ton of walks. A lot of interesting stuff in this game today. Also, Lucas Giolito might be back. Let's take you through this White Sox win. In the top of the first, Andrew Vaughn singled. Luis Robert patiently walked. Jose Abreu does what he does and singles into right field, loading the bases for Gavin Sheets, and he drives in two with a hot shot up the middle. Yohan Makata then had a loud batted ball that Ryan Mountcastle snagged, made a diving play down the first baseline, and then Elvis Andrews struck out to end the threat. Sox lead 2-0 after the top of the first. Sounds familiar, like exactly like last night. Uh, however, Lucas Giolito does not give up a three-run home run in the bottom of the first. Giolito gives the Sox some small angina after uh, Cedric Mullins has a leadoff single. Adley Rushman on a 3-2 count does pop out to the infield, and Mullins gets doubled off trying to seal. So Gio strikes out Santander to go 1-2-3 in the first inning, and he had a pretty smooth ride uh, for most of this game. Herb, what would you make of Gio, especially in that first inning? Thought he stayed composed, stayed uh, calm, cool, collected. Got a break there where uh, 3-2 count with Adley Rushman. Instead of usually the White Sox luck, that ball just trickling over the second baseman's head. 
and you go first to third right there with uh, Cedric Mullins. Ball goes right to the second baseman. Cedric Mullins is way off the bat because he was stealing at that time. You get the double play right there. Lucas found his composure there and then struck out the next guy. So it was good to see. Lucas, the whole game, got himself into a little trouble and then got himself out with minimal damage. Now, three strikeouts, I think two walks, not vintage Lucas, but beggars can't be choosers. This man has been bad for most of the season. This performance was the opposite of that. He saw the White Sox were sliding down, gave him six and a third of one one run ball. What more can you ask for from anyone, much less a uh, struggling Lucas Giolito? Well, and you said it on the pregame. The offense needs to show up for him. They gave him a great outing. Lucas Giolito gave him a great outing, and the White Sox score five runs, which for the White Sox offense, you know, kind of a uh, you know, uh, a glutton uh, at that point, kind of, kind of a you know, a, a riches of wealth here. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure what you can say about this game other than it was enough, right? I mean, sometimes you just got to do enough to win a ball game. The White Sox did barely enough tonight. I think you know, it, it looked like it was going to be a little bit more comfortable until the ninth inning there when Liam Hendricks gives up the home run. Everything tonight was just enough. Lucas Giolito gets out of that uh, that situation where he's got the runner on third with only one out. He does enough to get out of it without giving up a run. What does the uh, the offense do? Scores five runs, no extra base hits. It wasn't the prettiest thing. They got a run on a wild pitch. I mean, mm-hmm. this could have been a lot more dramatic had the White Sox played basically the way they've played for the majority of the season, but they did just barely enough. And, of course, Juan Moncada with a huge uh, defensive play. That's enough because if he doesn't make right. that play – the White Sox probably, well, not probably, the White Sox might have lost the game. Certainly, the score would have been a lot different a lot earlier. Well, and similar to last night, kind of after the first inning, it goes quiet. Romy Gonzalez in the second inning leads off with a single, but then the Sox do nothing with it. Then the Orioles go 1-2-3 in the bottom of the second with Giolito striking out the first two of the inning. So he gets three Ks in the first two inning and then does not strike out a batter uh, to end the game. Uh, so he goes, you know, basically four and two-thirds uh, or four and a thirds without striking out a batter. He did have uh, good stuff today. Then the top of the third almost mirrors the second as Gavin Sheets got on with a uh, with two outs instead of none. He singled, but then he gets stranded by Yon Moncada K. In the bottom of the third, Lucas Giolito keeps up the good start, setting down the first eight in order, then runs into trouble with Robinson Torinos. On a 2-2 count, Giolito seemingly located an end-of-the-bat fastball to strike out Torinos, but Zavala was unable to catch the ball. Then Giolito walks Torinos, but negated as Cedric Mullins grounds out it was an odd game from the umpire and that was an odd play from Zavala not being able to catch that ball would have been strike three would have had a fourth strike out there Lucas needed to make a great pitch in that moment and Sebi didn't bail out his pitcher no he didn't and he was having a couple things right there with the home plate umpire not on his game I think it was uh, Jim Wolf back there Mm -hmm. Um, not on his game completely there's pitches that were inconsistent zone the whole day but, yeah, Sebi's got to catch that. I'm, I know he's trying to frame that ball and make it seem more in the strike zone than it is. But, but the pitch was a strike all day and all night. He catches that ball. I think Jim Wolf pulls him out and strike, says strike three. But Lucas pitches over that and picks up his teammate. That's what you need to do sometimes when the ump misses the call or your own player makes a mistake. You pick him up. And you saw, and you saw Lucas picked himself up. And off the mound, he's like, Ugh. you can tell he's like mumbling to himself. Like, what the hell's going on type of thing. Maybe to himself about him, his own performance or to Sebi or the umpire, one of the three. But he was not happy with that result. But he eventually got Cedric to get out. And you mentioned picking up 
players uh, in the top of the fourth. Ryan Mountcastle heads towards his own dugout, a foul ball by Elvis Andrews, hmm. and the entire Orioles dugout hmm. bails out. Ryan Mountcastle tries to lean over, makes the catch uh, in the dugout, and the entire Orioles just backed away, gave him all this time, and he's like, where did anyone go to help me out here? Uh, the White Sox do not make a ton of noise on that. Sebi gets his first walk of the night out of three, but then he gets stranded on an A.J. Pollock strikeout. In the bottom of the fourth, Adley Rutschman gets into a 3-0 count and clobbered a ball off the right field wall. It started to look shaky for Lucas Giolito. A nice throw by Gavin Sheets made a competitive play at second base, but Rutschman made a fantastic slide going in there. Then the next better, Anthony Santander, blasted one into right center field, and Gavin Sheets and uh, Luis Robert converge in right center, and it seems like it's going to be messy. They almost collide. Robert makes the catch, though. Rutschman advances the third. Then Mountcastle drives in Rushman as the Sox trade the out for the run. Sox lead 2-1 to one after the fourth inning. That is the play where Rutschman's on third. The ground ball goes to Elvis Andrews. You didn't like that. He didn't go home. It's not that I didn't like that he didn't go home, but it looked like Sebi Zavala was either going to back up the throw to first and abandon home plate. And we were discussing this. Maybe that was Sebi's uh, plan just to say, hey, we're just taking the out at first. Don't try to be a hero and throw him out at home because Rushman doesn't have premium speed. And uh, Andres got that ball in pretty good uh, time, and he could have thrown the ball home, but Sebi was already out of behind home plate or, like, running to first. And so there was no opportunity for Elvis Andres to throw the ball home. You know, I was uh, all right with them giving up that run, especially if they hit it to short or second base as those guys were playing as such. But if Rushman's not running that fast and you have a play, hell, go ahead and make it. I didn't like how Sebi was just abandoned home plate. I don't know if that was the White Sox playing all along just for Sebi to abandon it just so you don't have an opportunity to throw the ball home at all to make it a big inning. And usually we'll see the infield come in when there's a runner on third like that. The White Sox were just playing a normal straight-up defense. I theorized with you, and Vinny, I'm not sure how you felt about it. I thought since maybe the White Sox are like, oh, well, we'll, we'll trade the run for the out, usually like baseball teams do. Zavala isn't covering the plate just because he assumes that there's no throw going to home. I'm not sure if that's the Sox not locking in, but we kind of saw it with the Orioles at one point. Jorge Mateo on the Gavin Sheets ball that you know ends up going towards the gap in between the third base and shortstop. He ends up making a jump throw, but he could have made a throw at third. There was no one covering second, and then Gavin Sheets ends up beating the throw out to first base. So I'm not sure if it's the Sox not locking in. I just thought it was them trading a run for an out and Elvis, you know, Try to tempt something, maybe, maybe you know, getting a, a little wily veteran, uh, you know, uh, out there, out there. I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, the White Sox play to me seems just like you know regular old baseball. That's kind of what you do in those situations, and that's probably what they were prepared for. Um, the obviously the Orioles play you're talking about was was a different story because while you know he might have felt you know that he was going to try to go to first base with that to try to end the inning, the situational awareness was not there because he had the out at third base. Mm-hmm. Uh, Listen, maybe it was a tough play. I'm not. I'm no athlete myself. I don't know what it takes to twist your body around in that situation. But he, it seemed like he tried to go for a web gem or thought that attempting a web gem was the only play that he had. And really, he uh, would have had the guy at third by a mile there. So that was a big break for the White Sox. Um, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm not going to 
I'm not going to uh, harp on what might have been right. a more difficult play than it looked like for the guy, but uh, sure looked like uh, there there was a nice out to be had at third base. Again, the Sox lead after 4-2-1 to one in the top of the fifth. The Sox get another base runner after Jose Abreu's elbow guardless elbow is nailed by Spencer Watkins. We mentioned this yesterday after Aloy gets hit with a 102-mile-per-hour heater on the elbow. Thankfully, he was wearing an elbow guard. The next guy that comes up is Jose Abreu, and he gets one tight thrown in uh, to him by Felix Bautista. And then today, he gets hit by a 91-mile-per-hour fastball in the elbow. But I'm not sure why any of these guys aren't wearing all of the safety gear that is given to them. If so you we, can wear a, a shin guard, wear it. If you go wear a foot guard, wear it. If you go wear a wrist guard, wear it. If you go wear an elbow guard, wear it. Batting gloves, wear it. Helmet, wear it. Sunglasses, wear it. Sunscreen, wear it. All good advice. We uh, asked Jose about that last year because you'll remember last oh, yeah? year he was just getting hit constantly, right. and uh, and we asked him why don't, why don't you wear anything on the arm? And he said doesn't like it, uncomfortable. So that is there it. you go. <laughs> yeah, comfortability. Like some people don't wear batting gloves because they're comfortable hitting with their bare hands. And Jose probably is like, hey, I've been hit millions of times. I've not broken a bone in my elbow. I, I could take it. And you know, if I get hit and it hurts a little bit, I'll rub some dirt on it and play next day. Right. I mean, hey, we know that he's not going to take a day off, hates being a designated hitter like he was tonight, uh, so I don't think it's going to change him. And thankfully, again, it was 91. If it's 102, maybe he changes his tone. You know, Maybe that's a bigger bruise uh, the next morning. But then a pass ball moved Abreu to second base with two outs. However, a Spencer Watkins slider is not nailed by Gavin Sheets, and the Sox threat is ended. Basically, the only time Gavin Sheets did not deliver in this game. In the bottom of the fifth, Lucas Giolito keeps the train rolling, recording his third 1-2-3 inning of the game. Then in the top of the sixth, the Sox have their first 1-2-3 uh, inning of the game and their fifth straight scoreless inning. Spencer Watkins removed after the sixth inning. He went six innings, gave up five hits, allowed two earned runs, surrendered two walks, and struck out five. He lowered his ERA below four to 396 on the year. Then in the bottom of the sixth, Lucas Giolito comes back out after a one-pitch out. Cedric Mullins comes up and hits a 2-2 fastball into left. He then turns on the Jets and tries to stretch it into a double. A.J. Pollock wasn't quick enough to get the ball in. Rami wasn't quick enough with the tag. And Mullins has a one-out double herb we saw this yesterday with austin hayes doing this to andrew vaughn and now we see it uh cedric mullins doing it to aj pollock it just seems like the white Sox outfield can be run on they can be but i don't necessarily think that aj was loafing it or anything he just double clutched you know he wasn't sure about his throw and if he does throw that ball in in the first on the first instance i think he has a chance right there to get mullins out i mean it's just great hustle by him he saw it out of the box he knew exactly where Pollock was, and he knows his speed. He's going to make it there probably like nine times out of ten. I have no problem with what A.J. Pollock did there. Well, and what we saw yesterday with Andrew Vaughn, I mean, Andrew Vaughn really wasn't loafing it. He did his best to get to that ball. He just wasn't quick enough. It's just, I think, the athletes out there. Andrew Vaughn's a first baseman playing right field. A.J. Pollock typically playing left field and has for the most you know couple of years, but his athleticism has gone down a bit. You just hope that the White Sox were a little bit cleaner on these things, but it doesn't end up hurting them too badly. But Rutschman, oh, like yeah. you were saying, but that is a thing in the scouting report, as Stoney pointed out. You see the Guardians doing that to the White Sox all game long, all series long. Now all the teams are like, hey, man, these guys don't have premium arms. They're not going to throw me out. Vaughn's kind of slow, too, and he's uh, not a right fielder. He doesn't have a right fielder's arm. I'm going to go and challenge him. If he throws me out, he throws me out. But I'm going to definitely try to get that extra base hit. 
and get to second or third if I can on the White Sox arms because no one in that outfield, I mean, maybe Luis Robert has a decent arm, but no one's like, okay, I'm not going to be running on that guy today because he's been throwing people out left and right. Well, and remember, there's two sides to this equation, right? Yeah, the White Sox are able to be run on, but the other teams have guys who can run. And I think uh, the thing that people see, maybe it's like, oh, why aren't the White Sox doing this? The White Sox don't have a lot of a lot of speed. And on top of that, they've had guys with sore legs all year. So when you add all those factors into it too, you don't see what you're, what you're seeing from other teams from the White Sox for that reason. But then there is what the White Sox outfield allows itself to do. Sometimes guys are really good athletes and you've got to, you know, to use a, to a quote that's been bandied about on social media all year, you've got to tip your hat sometimes to the guys who are able to use their speed. Of course, it takes two to tango. Yeah, Cedric Mullins, very, very fast. So, <laughs> you know, a, a guy that can beat you with his legs. But like I said, the uh, Sox not beat by it. Rutschman grounded out, pushing the tying run to third base. But 0 for 2, Anthony Santander comes to the plate and hits a 1-0 count all high into the infield, helping Lucas Giolito escape the jam in the sixth inning. Then going to the seventh inning, Sebi Zavala leads off with a walk. Um, I kept doing uh, Jesus walks with me, but Sebi walks with me to Herb, and he was not liking my Kanye West nope. uh, reference. Uh, then A.J. Pollock strikes out on four pitches. Andrew Vaughn walked on four pitches. Luis Robert lined the sixth pitch of his at bat, at bat, but hit it too hard to have Sebi score. 102 off the bat does not allow Sebi to get home. However, he does. Luis Robert extends his hit streak to 14 games. And then August Abreu comes up with the bases loaded, a chance to extend the lead after going 0 for 5 yesterday. I think 0 for 4 with runners in scoring position. Coming into this game, Abreu was hitting 345, 391, 441. But he only has nine RBIs this season. Hasn't hit a home run in 19 games. Who will win, Brian Baker or Jose Abreu? It's Brian Baker. He strikes out Jose Abreu on four pitches, and Keegan Aiken comes into the relief of Baker before we move on to the big moment of this game. Jose Abreu not looking like the normal Jose Abreu in August. Again, he's getting on base. 371's not bad. Uh, at batting average of 345, not bad, but you think... Jose Abreu, the consistent 100-RBI machine, the guy that usually can give you 30 home runs, just feels like that power and that ability to drive in runs is just not there, Herb, and shockingly not able to come through uh, in the clutch tonight. Like I've always said, and everybody who uh, studies this says it too, RBIs are team-dependent. So, yes, it was great that Jose Abreu got those 100 RBIs every, one, every single year for the most part, but those are because of Timmy's getting on in front of him or other people are getting on in front of him. Now, Jose himself is not hitting the home runs that he usually would, so that is part of the equation. What, he's got like 58 RBI on the year? Not Jose-like during the middle of August right now or almost to the end of August. So some of it's on him, but I think for the majority of it, it's on the players in front of him not getting on and not uh, being available to score those runs for him to drive in people. Yes, he's struggling with runners in scoring position, but isn't this whole team except for Yohan Moncada doing that right now? Right. It's, it's a little bit of everything, I think, because, I mean, her last two nights, guys have gotten on for Jose Abreu, and it hasn't come through. Now, sometimes that's baseball, and you have a couple of bad nights, you have a bad stretch. You know, we talk about pressing all the time, and maybe Jose sees those moments and says, I got I to gotta get all these runs in with one, you know, with one swing, and, you know, that is uh, something that's not going to work for you. Obviously, he's been hitting the ball very well this year, so there's something about those situations in which uh, his, his mindset might be a little bit different. But driving in runs is also a skill, and it's a skill that we've seen Jose Abreu excel at for his entire time that he's been an, uh, a Chicago White Sox. 
particularly in 2020 when he won the MVP, it seemed like every time he came up to bat, it was a big hit. It was a hit that brought in a run that was important to a game that changed a game. And to not see that from him this year is very strange because he is a guy who has made that his hallmark throughout the last, you know, what, six, seven, eight years of baseball. Absolutely. And to be fair to Jose, you know, today, two for three with runners in scoring positions, no RBIs, though, not able to give that big hit to open up the White Sox game. However, like I said, uh, Keegan Aiken comes into the game and Vinny's click to pick comes through. Gavage Sheets hits a grounder at Jorge Mateo. He makes a great jump throw effort, but Sheets beats it out. We referenced it a little bit earlier. You thought Mateo could have gone to third base to get the very slow Andrew Vaughn out. The third baseman was there covering for Mateo. He doesn't go there. You thought that there possibly was a play at second base as well, but Rugnit Odor isn't even at second base covering for the force. And the long throw over to first base, not able to get Gavin Sheets. He's hustling down the line. What would you think of the play? I thought, thank you. Thank you for somebody else making (laughs) mistakes against the White Sox instead of the other way around. Clear. Clear out at third base. There was no nobody there. Andrew Vaughn was barely at the equal of where Mateo was. So he could have had two steps calmly through to third and had the inning over right there. To try to attempt to throw out Gavin Sheets, who is a left-handed hitter, so he has an advantage there, gets out the box pretty quickly. And he's not slow. He has some decent speed, not you know earth, earth-shattering speed. So he beats out the throw, of course, because it's a weaker throw because you're going away from the bag and you're doing a jump throw into the dirt. So, yeah, it was a poorly executed play where I don't know if the communication was correct. You see Rugen Odor in that play is at his second base position, not at second base, not at all. And then the uh, Urias is at third base, ready to take the the call. I don't know if he's yelling, three, 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 come on, man, right here. Cause, and as we say uh, later in the game, you saw when uh, Roman Gonzalez didn't get a good jump off of second base, it's situational awareness. You have to look where your infielders are, look where your outfielders are, and know where you're going to go with the ball if it's hit to you. That's the same for Mateo. Okay, Andrew Vaughn's slow as hell at second base. If this ball is hit deep in the hole, I have a left-handed batter up right now. He's probably going to make that ball, that play. So I got a short play right there to third base with Andrew Vaughn, a really slow runner. I got to take it right there. He's got to be thinking about these things in his mind going before he even has the play done. Think about it, visualizing, and then execute it. I'm glad Jorge Mateo did not do that. Force out, too. Force at every base. I mean, mm-hmm. bases were loaded, uh, and, and that's obviously part of that situational awareness. I'm, I, I'll give the guy the benefit of the doubt and say, I bet that ball was hit right to the right spot where it just threw everything out of whack for him. Well, right. It was a hard play to make, and I think even – I mean, again, we can watch it and say it sure looked like he could have gotten Andrew Vaughn at third base. I'm going to go ahead and guess that for him, with where that ball was hit – any play was going to be a hard play to make. And it seems like an awkward angle, too, to make right. that with your, your your body carrying you towards the third baseline to then make that throw to the third baseman. And in the hole, too. It's not like right. he was just going straight over. He's going back. It's, it, I bet it was a tough play either way. Uh, and, and, and I think probably it was just hit right to the right spot where everything that he might have been prepared for suddenly went out the window. Well, and it was hit hard <laughs> enough, too. I think if it was a little bit slower, he would have been able to process it a little bit more. But he, hit, he basically hit it hard, 94.5 miles per hour off the bat for Gavin. Just gave it enough to where Jorge Mateo just kind of had it make it all one move, right? He had to catch the ball, get up, jump, make the decision where to throw it, make a good throw, and he made a good throw. But Gavin Sheets was just faster. So difficult play, and as Herb says, thank you very much, Jorge Mateo. Yon Makata ended that threat, though. 
but the Sox lead 3-1 to one after six and a half innings. Then the question was asked during the commercial break, do you leave Lucas Giolito in? Tony La Russa does. At the bottom of the six, Ryan Mountcastle sneaks a single through the infield. Then Austin Hayes hits a sharp liner at Andrew Vaughn, who turned Got the force at second, but the Sox weren't quick enough to turn two. Then Urias worked a five-pitch walk to knock Giolito out of the game at the 93-pitch mark. Lucas Giolito went six and one-third, allowing four hits, one earned run, surrendering two walks, and striking out three. And we saw some frustration from Ethan Katz, just kind of like, ah, he couldn't get it. Because Lucas had a pretty damn good game. Felt like he had moments to even go seven and give the White Sox a you know, great outing. I mean, going seven innings is something great for the White Sox. You don't see a lot of guys doing that, especially with last year, how many guys did it for the Sox with Lance Lynn, Lucas Giolito, Carlos Rodon. This would have been a big start for Lucas Giolito. Still is because it's better than what he's been doing this season. But what do you make of Lucas and not being able to get out of the seventh inning there? Great pitching. I mean, he didn't have awesome stuff. His stuff was striking those uh, Baltimore Orioles out. I mean, I think they missed like 27% swing to miss and then called, called strikes or 27%, which is league average. Um, so the changeup was working when it was uh, effective. It was moving oh so right. The fastball wasn't up to the speeds usually it is. I mean, 93 today popped up to 96. I saw on a ball that I thought was going to be a strike in the, that seventh inning where it was just off the plate, low and outside. Lucas was really mad. He didn't get the call. Same with Sebi Zavala. And I think that was kind of part of what uh, Ethan was reacting to. He's like, damn, man, it's out here battling. You got to give him something because the inconsistent strike zone of Jim Wolf, where balls that have been called strikes all day have or called balls right there in the seventh inning. You saw Lucas not really react to it while in the moment, but you could feel that he was very disappointed that he didn't get the calls because Stoney pointed out some of those balls that Lucas was throwing back in the starts before this, they were way off, non-competitive pitches. These were right here, right by the strike zone. Credit to Baltimore Orioles for laying off these pitches. There was a couple change-ups that he threw that started in the middle of the zone and just tailed off just inch or two off the outside zone and they would spit on it and I was like you know what you've been calling that strike all day long on left-handed hitters why not right now Jim Wolf and he didn't so I thought Lucas did a good job for what he had and from the performance he's been having before uh previous to this and this year this is uh, probably a b-plus start right here for Lucas Giolito because the strikeouts are not there but he gave the White Sox more than a chance to win this one and against a very hot team as well yeah Everything's relative, and uh, for the season and particularly the second half that Lucas Giolito's been having, this looked really, really good. And all you need, if you're him, is to do this kind of thing moving forward. Now, again, you know, you're going to be at the mercy of the opposing bats as well, and, and, and the Orioles, you know, were not battering the ball tonight like they have uh, against some other pitchers. But, you know, to, to come through in some of those cl- more clutch moments, some more of those high leverage moments when he's got guys out on the base paths, particularly guys in scoring position, to come through, he, he, he did what he needed to do. Uh, you know, I'm sure there's a few walks that he'd like to have back because he doesn't like to have one walk in a game, let alone multiple ones. Uh, you know, maybe if he doesn't issue that walk there, he's able to finish that inning. But uh, t- 
to to be able to do what he did tonight. I mean, the guy only gave up one run. Right. That's 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 not just that's not all you can ask for. That's more than you can ask for. And uh, he did a very good job. A lot more competitive of an outing than we've seen from Lucas Giolito recently. A great return to four for him. We'll continue the game recap, but we got to let you know Points Bet Sportsbook is counting down the days until the football season with a new offer every day until the season kicks off. From now until September 28th, the Points Bet Power Hour will unlock a new daily offer from 12 to 1 p.m. Central Time. Sign up for Points Bet Sportsbook now using the code CHGO to get two risk free bets up to $2,000. Do not miss out on your chance to get daily access to free bets boosted odds, and so much more now through September 8th. I've had great success betting on the BMW Championship with the points bet, uh, points bets Power Hour boosted odds. I got Patrick Cantlay at boosted odds before he won the BMW Championship. This is a fantastic deal that points bet rolls out each and every day to those users, so make sure you're stopping by the points bet app at 12 to 1 p.m. Central Standard Time every day until September 8th. And if you make a $51 or more first-time deposit, you'll receive a free CHGO membership, which unlocks all of our web content, and you'll even get a free shirt of your choice from the CHGO locker. So download the PointsBet app today and use code CHGO to take advantage of this limited-time offer. <laughs> Don't just bet and live your bet life with PointsBet. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER for crisis counseling and referral services. And our next partner has a product I use literally every day, and I started taking a one because they've supported us since March 4th, since we started this company back on day one. Athletic Greens was there sending us free trials, giving us the stuff to help us feel better, and it's been great incorporating Athletic Greens into my diet. I wake up each and every morning and have this delicious, mild, tropical-tasting drink that helps me feel energized. It helps my immune system. It helps my nervous system. It helps my gut health. And with 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, and probiotics, AG1 helps me start my day right. It's lifestyle-friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. And Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No needs for millions of different pills and supplements to look out for your health. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash socks. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash C-H-G-O-S-O-X to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Let's look at Lucas Giolito. And the main thing that sticks out to me is control. Uh, he was controlled in his six and one-third today, again, allowing four hits, two walks, and three Ks. I want to look at the fastball command, though, and the changeup command. He's pitching really inside today to left-handers and right-handers, um, and, and or really mainly uh, just to left-handers. He's pitching inside with his forcing fastball to left-handers, outside uh, to right-handers, and it worked well from him. Mainly, that outer third was lit up in red, up and down uh, the strike zone. That was great to see, and his changeup stayed down. Uh, down mainly below the strike zone, away from right-handed batters. It was a great, great job uh, of Lucas Giolito just loading the zone with strikes. And the main thing, too, I think he ended up having 14 called strikes, which is uh, the most that he's had in a long while. So Lucas Giolito returning to form a bit, 15 called strikes, called strike percentage of 27, which is, you've mentioned, uh, major league average. So an average game from Lucas Giolito, but he hasn't really had an average game in a while. So this is good to see. And Lucas is pitching to the ballpark. You see how cavernous that left center field is. So he's pitching to away from the right-handers. So if they do crack it, they hit the ball on the warning track. I think Santer, Santander, who's a left-hander, he pitches inside. He cracked it. Warning track power. 
He pitched to the big part of the field, which is a smart thing to do while you're in Baltimore. You saw the White Sox yesterday, two wall balls, where they would have been out of every single Major League Baseball park except for Baltimore. You got to pitch to the place you're pitching in currently. So Lucas did a great job there. Great job by uh, Sebi Savala for calling those pitches out there too. And that changeup, great run, great movement. It looks like vintage Lucas. Now if you compare that with a higher velocity fastball, he'll be back. Now yeah. 93 mile per hour fastball probably won't cut it because people are it's too way too close to his changeup velocity. And I mean changeup has that great run right now so nobody's gonna be hitting that if he's hitting his spots yeah it'll be interesting to see what he has to say post game uh, I, I see Daryl already had a, a video of Lucas speaking so we'll see how Lucas felt after that one but to continue Kendall Graveman comes in before you for, before you yeah, move on a kangaroo balancing a potato on its nose is what I saw in that first heat map that oh. Steven put up can we go back the Rorschach oh, that's huh. my Rorschach test answer right there Kangaroo, I can see jumping it. up. He's yeah. got a potato on the nose. There you a go. A potato specific. Yeah. <laughs> the kangaroo, pretty good. Uh, I, I like, I like the, the the kangaroo. I mean, you can really see the outline of it. You can see the feet. You yeah. can see the the, the paws there, kind mm-hmm. of in a boxing stance. You got the the tail as well. Uh, real nice call there. Vinny. Yeah, it needed to be said. Yeah, <laughs> no, it really did. Uh, so Lucas Chialito dotting it out there, painting a picture uh, for Lu- for Vinny's mind to uh, to see. Uh, Kendall Graveman comes in for Lucas Giolito and finishes the job. He enters in the seventh with a 3-1 lead. Runners on first and second with one out. First batter, Rugnit or Dorr, takes the first four pitches to load the bases, so it isn't an easy uh, outing for Kendall Graveman. Bases loaded, one out. Jorge Mateo hits a 105-mile-per-hour ball down the line that Yohan Moncada snags, steps on third base, and makes an off-balance throw over to first to close out the inning and escape the jam. I see our guy Paul Correct in here saying, Yo Moncada's great, but his OPS is under 600. And I see a ton of people, I think our guy Pilskin, saying Yo Moncada for gold gloves. So, Herb, which side are you on? Moncada stinks or he's a gold glover? Hey, man, I'm always <laughs> of the, the mind. You can't be shitting on dudes all the time without giving them credit when they do well. So that's what I do with Lori Garcia. He's my, bu- he's my guy that I used to go after. I still do if he was playing. But when he does well, I got to give him kudos. I don't say, well, he does this, but he didn't do that. No, no, no. That play is a gold glove play. 105 miles per hour hour off the bat, snags it, has the wherewithal to step on the bag and make a great throw to first. You got to give credit where credit is due. And then secondly, four straight pitches are balls for Rugnin Ordor. Jorge Mateo, we're, we're here again, situational. Bases are loaded. This dude just threw four straight balls to the guy in front of me in Rugnin Ordor. Take a picture three. You know, the dude's <laughs> wild. And the pitch he hit was inside, off the plate. So, I don't understand. Like I said, with the White Sox, they do that all the time. And that's why I say Jorge Mateo is natural White Sox. I would mind them on the White Sox. Two things can be true, by the way. You can be really good with the glove and really bad with the bat. Yeah. Yomer Sanchez comes to mind. Uh, you know, you're, right. allowed to, you're allowed to be gold glove caliber in a year where you don't hit anything. So, uh you know, listen, the guy's obviously had a terrible year at the plate in Yoan Moncada. Nobody's arguing that. That play saved the game tonight. Well, and I guess the reason why people are you know, upset is because they didn't give Yolmer Sanchez $20 million. That's very true. That they is didn't. true. They DFA'd, I, or they, uh, they non-tendered him a mere month later. As I, I would have gave Yolmer $20 million. As I always say, it's not my money. 
Yeah, it's not my money, and that's why, again, I, Yolmer, I mean, if we're talking about vibes, that guy was dumping Gatorade buckets on himself. That guy was on screaming. Well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, he was having a blast out there. He was. He once wished me a happy Father's Day. Did he really? Yeah. What a sweet guy. Yeah. I you're mean, not, I, I'm not, not a you father. Have, and, uh, no at that point, I weren't even married. didn't even have a girlfriend. Yeah. So, Did you have a happy Father's Day? Did you have a cat, though? No. A dog? No. Okay, so you weren't a father of I wasn't kind. the father of anything. I was oh, the father yeah. of a few uh, vinyl records. That's about it. <laughs> Yomer doesn't care, though, because he's a sweet guy. He's, he's thoughtful. wishing it to everybody, you know? I think. Happy Father's Day, man. <laughs> I really hope it was a good one. Uh, but anyways, Yoan uh, Mankata gets the White Sox out of that jam. And, you know, again, Kendall Graveman coming in with runners on first and second. Throw a strike, buddy. I mean, I was I mean, not the first time. He was trying to. I, I, he was trying to. He didn't. Uh, and, again, it's all about results here, Herb. It, it is. Uh, it is. It is. The question, though, is can the Sox ensure their lead? Elvis Andrews singles to lead off the top of the eighth. Then Romy Gonzalez follows with a single of his own, allowing Andrews to advance to third base. And then Lewis Head, uh, Vinny, this one's for you. <laughs> You're the pitcher throwing a slider in the dirt. Did you like that one? Yeah, nice okay. job. Thanks. Uh, Elvis Andrews then scores, extending the lead to 4-1. to one. Sebi Zavala then singles to get runners at first and second for A.J. Pollock, who then drives in his 40th RBI of the year, extending the leads. Uh, the Sox lead to 5-1. to one. Sox score two in the first, one in the f- seventh, and two in the eighth. Graven comes out and finishes the extending outing, going one and two-thirds, no hits, no earned runs, one walk, one K. Vaughn made a nice play on Mullins in the eighth. Sox get one more walk and one more single in the ninth. They finish with 12 hits, 12 singles, and six walks. And then Liam Hendricks does allow a home run to Austin Hayes' orange bat, making it a 5-3 to three game. Cool. But he's so a, cool. You, you like the orange Love. bat? If you've got a bright team color, everything should be that color. What other teams should, can we think of? Like, oh, I'd like the A's should have green bat, green or yellow bats. Okay, that would be great. The Marlins, Marlins like, could have that teal. They could have a teal bats. I was thinking uh, Diamondbacks. I think purple bat would be cool, but I'm thinking like the teal bat. Yeah, they got that weird like quasi teal on their jerseys. That's like you can barely tell exists, but it is there. I'm talking like the. You're talking Luis Gonzalez, uh, purple and teal. Right, right. Well, right. yeah, that the, should just be their colors. The so, good yeah. colors. Yeah, I think I think that's what you know. And even like, what did we Red talk Sox about do, when the Sox went to Colorado? Rockies, not enough purple. Right, Everything yeah. needs to be purple. It needs to be purple head to toe. You are blessed with the chance to be purple. Be purple. I don't. Care. I don't. And agree. You're everybody is black shoes. and white and silver and blue and red. If you're got a unique color, you got to flaunt it. And they went with their City Connect as this white and green garbage. It looks like their license plates. Ugh. Well, the Colorado license plate is awesome, but the, the jerseys didn't, didn't turn out. No. No. And they have, like, the flag of Denver, right? Is Colorado. It, oh, Colorado's flag, all, yeah. like, rainbow colors. Where are that? Yeah, but I think then you're getting into, in the like, hat. the nut. The yeah, you're no, in the it's, but it's No, but it's your colors of your state. Correct. And, mm. yeah, and, you, and it's no, I'm sure they have a... Gay Pride Parade or Gay Pride Days at Colorado, too. If those two two or three pitches don't like it, F them. That's very true. I was thinking more of just the, the Nuggets. The Nuggets have been doing that since mm, the 80s, so maybe they just didn't want to you know, go off of their shtick with the, 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 the rainbow flag and, and everything we like that. We should get our DNVR brethren to weigh in on this. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. I, I know Jason Adam isn't on the, the, the Rockies lineup, so hopefully we don't have to worry about what Herb was bringing up there. But... Liam finds his form, getting Urias to strike out and Ordo to pop out. Sox win 5-3, to three, improving to 61, uh, 63 and 61 in the year. Four games back of the Guardians of the Central, and Minnesota did lose. So the White Sox are tied now with the Twins in second place. 
four games back of those Guardians. The Sox are four games back of the wild card as well. Seattle 67 and 57. Orioles fall to two and a half games back in the wild card. Sox are four games back. How are we feeling now that all of that's through? The game's over. Sox are tied for second place with the Twins, Herb. The Sox back. Can they win the division? Are we still doing this? They hit 12 singles again? You're saying can. Yes, they can win the division. Will they? I'm still on the outside because of I look at that Guardian schedule. They're playing some tough teams this week, but then after that, right? they had the six games to end the season at the crib versus the Royals scares me, where they can run five out of the six uh, games that right there. And, Vinny, there was somebody asking, I think it was Dennis, asking about uh, the Padres City Connect jerseys. You're a fan of theirs? So the thing that I like, even when the jerseys look bad or if they stay local, and apparently the color scheme has something to do with some sort of roller coaster coaster ride at a local amusement park, I I, I enjoy a deep pull, but uh, I, I, you know, certainly, listen, if you're not from San Diego and you don't get it, that's, it's not for you. Right. It's for people in San Diego, and that's kind of the point. Like, I love the Boston Red Sox blue and yellow ones because of how unique and, and very local that is um so if the people in san diego are like oh it's cool we got to see our famous roller coaster colors on the padres and they like it good for them and the weird thing is when i was there i don't remember anybody talking about that damn roller coaster it's in mission beach it's fine it's like in the middle of a there's a beach there's a roller coaster it's old it's not the american (laughs) eagle it's just a rickety old ass roller coaster yeah, I, I was fine with it. I, didn't, I don't really get the Baja stuff. I'm glad that you're defending the Red Sox one, though, because it's the marathon. Like, right. I, I know one and thing about— And they wore it for Patriots Day. Right. Yeah. It makes sense. Like, yeah. the, the one Like, the, the Major League Baseball did something that made sense, that should be celebrated. They usually don't do that. The, the Padres one, I guess you can make it make sense, whatever. The Rockies one, I didn't really love it. I don't really love the Angels one. looks kind of like cartoony. I love the Angels ones are good. The cream color, the Angels, and the— Underlying a surfboard. Oh. Yeah. Well, then we'll throw the Diamondbacks one, one under the bus because Trash. that one's just sandy. That one's bad. Yeah, I mean, it's a cool-looking jersey, but it's not really a City Connect jersey, in right. my opinion. It's just like... We're you know, rattlesnakes. Yeah. I mean, snakes are cool. They should have made it snakeskin. That would have been, been cool. That would have been cool. Uh, and, hey, what we could say about our City Connect jerseys, it's two words. Southside. Southside is two words. Yeah. Two words. Uh, I, I tried to send that to you. I don't know if you saw that. Uh, I saw yeah, it on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Hashtag Southside is two yeah. words. It unless is. you're using a hashtag. Uh, anyways, uh, mentioning the strength of set schedule, I saw our guy Steven bring it up. The Sox do have the fourth, uh, I guess, easiest schedule here to the end of the year. But the Guardians are at 19. So they have the 11th easiest schedule. So it's like the team you're chasing – also has an easiest, uh, the easiest schedule. Minnesota is basically at 14. So because you play in the AL Central, your schedule is easy. I, I really don't care about this. Greg Amsinger was talking about this yesterday on MLB Network. We've seen that that doesn't mean anything for the White Sox. Not at Having all. an easy schedule doesn't mean win for th- wins for this team. No, it doesn't. I mean, they could play easy teams, easy team like Kansas City, and lose majority of those games like they have this year. They've only won seven of the 15 they've played so far. So this is just a time for the White Sox to actually look at that schedule and say, yeah, those are easy games, but fuck being easy. Let's just beat every team we've got in front of us. Let's just do the job of every game in front of us, win that one. And then the next one comes, win that one. And, Sean, you asked, you asked Herb, you know, what are you feeling after tonight? I mean, 
Nothing about the way they played tonight changed anything, in my right. opinion. And really, to be fair, that's how you should feel after most baseball games because every day, if you're going to, you know, <laughs> it's it's every day. This and is baseball. We they play 162 of them. It's Vinny's but, thing. Yep. But I mean, yeah. The, I mean, the White Sox played a game today in which they kind of played the way they always do, and this time it was enough to win. And half the time it's been enough to win, and half the time it hasn't been. And so. You know, they're going to need to start playing a lot differently. They're going to need to start, you know, just mashing on a fairly regular basis in order for anybody to feel any different. Now, the way I felt before this game and the way I've felt for the last several months at this point is those other teams aren't playing that much better. So can they be better than Cleveland and Minnesota? Absolutely, they can. They don't really even have to play that much different. Right. I mean, and maybe the Guardians will run into some difficulties here because this is kind of the stretch where the Guardians' schedule gets hard and the White Sox' schedule gets easy. As Alex mentions, the Guardians face Robbie Ray, Luis Castillo, and Logan Gilbert two times each in the next 10 days. The next games for the Guardians, four against Seattle, four in Seattle, three against Baltimore, and then three against Seattle. So they got seven games against Seattle, three against Baltimore, Basically, two wild card teams here, and then the White Sox have to face Arizona, Kansas City, and Minnesota. That sounds tough for the White Sox. <laughs> I, I mean, I just look at when Vinny says like the same line. Like you would think, out of those, what is it, nine games? Yeah, the White Sox would get six of them. You would think. You'd hope. And you would think that the the Guardians go out to Seattle, get beat pretty badly, get beat by Baltimore, and then get beat by Seattle again. But watch when we turn around. We're at that time, and ten games later, well, Guardians went seven and seven and three. Man, they just hit the ball everywhere. They're doing a great job. Went out to San Diego and took two out of, from them. I don't know San Diego's no great shakes, but right now they are one of the wild card teams. Going out there and grabbing those dubs is huge. Seven nothing today, and Seattle is probably a daunting task for them. But you know those Guardians are going to hit and hit. And hit. And if one of those pitchers besides Bieber steps up, Tristan McKenzie, you get Savali to step up, uh, Plesek, you're going to win those games. So they're a tough team. They're the team I was scared of more than the Twins. When I saw the Twins, it's like, the weird-ass Minnesota Twins? Come on right. now. The White Sox catch them. Now the Guardians. Weird-ass Minnesota Twins? They're a different story because they can hit and they can pitch. And they pick the ball up for the most part. Well, and the Twins are now dealing with Byron Buxton being hurt, and you Oof. thought that Carlos Correa might be more of a star. He's been fine, but you know he hasn't been great. And they go out and get Tyler Malley. Well, he's shut down now for the rest of the season. You talk about the White Sox being a disappointment. The twins had a better offseason. Oh, yeah. The right. Twins had a better trade deadline. Most definitely. But and the they're Sox tied right ex- now. I mean, obviously the Sox, were the, the Sox were a huge favorite because they looked like they had a much better roster as you can go back and find all the uh, shows that we had right. in March and early April Oof. and find out what our opinion was on that. But Tough. the Twins... Uh, did not uh, decide to the Twins did not decide to see how this season played out. They went for it. Mm-hmm. They gave Carlos Correa that huge contract. They went out and made some big trades at the trade deadline, and uh, it ain't working for them either. The second the season's over, I'm out. It's Carlos Correa. It's like, all right, I'm hitting the button. I'm out. The second. Did you over. not see the recent report? He said he's staying. The for second. a long time, he for, said. The for a second long time. The season's over. Hitting the button and he's out. Yeah. Ejecting. I, I don't believe him for a second. I do want to go to a, a comment Paul Correct had a little bit earlier, though, because, Vinny, you mentioned it. Like, they did win, but it doesn't feel like it's any different. Um, Paul Correct said, can we pause on specific moments of this particular Sox win and address how even when we do win, it doesn't feel like a win. They never look like a playoff team 
win or lose. I don't know how you guys want to react to that. I mean, it's mostly right. I, I would say that, you know, it does feel like a win because that was the result. But obviously everybody is expecting, you know, them to one of these days take off or even if you don't expect them to do it anymore, you expected them to do it at the beginning of the season, right? And so I understand that not changing still feels like a loss because here they are when, you know, not really showing you anything. Uh, it was a win, but you're absolutely right. They don't look like a playoff team. And if they're going to be a playoff team, it's only going to be because they're a little bit better than these other two unimpressive teams that happen to be competing with them for this AL Central title. And I agree with Paul Correct. We haven't seen a sustained amount of victories where you're like, that team is going to do some uh, damage in the playoffs. Now, the pitching staff at the top of the rotation, yes, they get into the playoffs. Watch out. Dylan Cease can carry a team. Johnny Cueto, how he's been pitching of late, is probably just on the level of how Dylan Cease has been pitching uh, lately, too. So you have two guys who are going to go out there and give you good chances to win those games. But the White Sox offense has been piss poor. They've been getting a lot of hits, a lot of singles, but runs have been very scarce, even in this game. They had 18 right men on base with the 12 singles and uh, mm-hmm. the six walks, and they scored five runs. Right. Well, hey. <laughs> that, 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 doesn't, that doesn't add up. Last, last, uh, yesterday, 13 men left on base. Yeah. Today, 14. Yeah. Why are we not complaining? Because they've scored five runs. Right. Yeah. right. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, they, they technically had a worse game driving in runners, uh, but they also just loaded up. And, again, like, it's mainly because it's the sequencing. I know it's weird. You're not really – you can't really line those up, but it's just – like, if the White Sox things were just moved a little bit different or Luis Roberts hit, like, I'm complaining about a 102-mile-per-hour hit, but if that one was hit, like, 95, Sebi maybe scores. Like, it's a game of inches. Baseball is. Weird things happen. And, and I don't know. This White Sox season has been weird, and mainly it's just explained by the lack of home runs. But why those have vanished, uh, well, we don't know. It's time for the points bet pick of the week. Again, points bet Sportsbook is counting down the days until the football season starts with a new offer every day until the season kicks off. From now until September 8th, PointsBet's Power Hour will unlock a new daily offer from 12 to 1 p.m. Central Time. Sign up for PointsBet now using the code CHGO to get two risk-free bets up to $2,000. It's time for the PointsBet Pick of the Week, and it's easy. Tomorrow, the Mets take on the Rockies. It's Jacob deGrom versus the Rockies. The Mets' money line is at minus 440. Do not take that at all. Just wait for Jacob deGrom's strikeout props to come out and take the over on his strikeouts. I don't really care what number it's at. Jacob deGrom versus the Rockies should equal a lot and lot of strikeouts. So that's your points bet pick of the week. Make sure to download the points bet app. Make a $51 or or more first-time deposit, and you'll receive a free CHGO membership, which unlocks all of our web content, and you'll even get a free shirt of your choice from CHGO Locker. Download the PointsBet app today and use code CHGO to take advantage of this limited-time offer. Don't just bet. Live your bet life with PointsBet. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER for crisis counseling and referral services. PointsBet currently giving the lines for tomorrow's game. Sox minus 105 on the money line. Orioles minus 115. Basically saying it's a toss-up. You have Jordan Lyles on the bump for the Orioles. You have Lance Lynn on the bump for the Sox. 1-1 series. Big series win if the Sox can pull it off. What are we expecting from Lance Lynn? Jordan Lyles, not a guy to write home about. A near 5 ERA, but he's a right-hander. What should Sox fans expect? I think they should expect uh, Lance Lynn going out, giving his all, and giving the White Sox more than a chance to win and striking out a bunch of Orioles tomorrow. Um, Jordan Lyles, I remember he pitched the getaway game 
Sunday where the Baltimore Orioles won that series three games out of four. Nothing special about Jordan Lyles. I was like, who is this guy? I've heard of him before, but you got the line right there, Sean. I don't think he did anything special, but made the White Sox look dumb that day. Seven innings picks, six hits, four earned runs, one walk, four strikeouts, and one home run from Gavin Sheets. Ah. Can you pick him tomorrow, too? I don't know. I don't think you're right. I don't think you're allowed to do the same guy two days in a row. I mean, we don't. We. I mean, honestly, the White Sox haven't clicked enough for us to even pay attention to click to pick for most games. So I think you can do it. We're not gonna. That hometown cooking upset. for Gavin Cheats, man. That man is out here doing things. I know he's been hitting better since he's uh, demotion to AAA, but something's different. Like he's taking those balls to left field a little bit, a little bit more often this time. And then when he gets a chance, and you throw him an inside slider that doesn't get there. He'll put that shit on on the uh, on the street, or he'll put that on on the wall and get an extra base hit. So I don't know if I'm gonna be saying Gavin Sheets needs to play more because if he plays more, that means less of Andrew Vaughn in the whole uh, deal because I know he's not gonna sit down uh, Luis Robert, and if Aloy's playing, he's not gonna sit him down. But Gavin's a perfect guy off the bench, a perfect guy to get a spot start at first DH or right field. He's playing his role perfectly. Yeah. I mean, what do you expect tomorrow? Probably a little bit more Gavin Sheets, right? Probably a lot more singles. <laughs> hey. We've played two games. We've hit 23 singles. Jesus Killing Christ. the game. That's a lot of hits. <laughs> That's a lot of hits, and I bet you they're going to get some more of them tomorrow. And, uh, and it, what? it really does seem, though, like, you know, they or what? how many extra base hits they have yesterday? Three? Uh, in what? the home run. Yeah, the home three run and, and then two, two doubles. doubles. No, four doubles. Four doubles. Because Luis had two. And then Sebi had one. So three doubles. So yeah, and a home four four yesterday. extra base hits. Okay. So four extra base hits, twenty three doubles, and they have twenty three singles. What? Eight runs to show for it. That's a lot. And I think I think like nine walks. Yeah. They've loaded again twenty seven runners. That on base percentage has got to be pretty good. Ridiculous. I mean, the law of averages got to even out some of these days, or they're walking much more than they ever have. They're still one of the worst walking teams in the league, if not the worst. And they're getting hits. So if they keep on doing this, five runs per game will come about. But, I mean, if you put 18 men on base, I expect you to score more than five runs. But, hell, today was enough. The next day, just move on. Hopefully you do the same thing. I will hate the 12 singles they'll hit tomorrow. But if they score five runs with those those 12 singles, I'm kind of satiated because I know Lance Lynn's going to give you more than that or give you less than that on his uh, score sheet. Again, the Sox, too, with bases loaded, only have one home run below 100, way to runs created plus, and you look at the two times that they came through, it's Gavin Sheets hitting a single up the middle and then hitting an infield single. So it's just that big hit has not come for the Sox, and it just keeps getting more and more frustrating. Uh, but at least they won tonight. As Clark says, Team ISO uh, down to 124, and it's dipping uh, with each and each passing game. Uh, and Team ISO is batting average minus slugging or slugging minus batting average. So it's just basically how well do you hit extra bases hits, and uh, the White Sox don't do that well. Lance Lynn versus Jordan Lyles tomorrow. We'll be joining you for a 5.30 pregame show to preview if the White Sox can win this series uh, in Baltimore. So we will join you at 5.30 tomorrow for a pregame show. Herb will be there. Vinny will be there. I'll be there. You'll be there. So join us for the pregame at 5.30 tomorrow, and we will join you for the postgame show tomorrow as well. Follow Vinny Duber on Twitter, at Vinny. 
Duber. Uh, he's the CHGO White Sox beat writer. I don't know who has at Vinny, but not me. At, at yeah. Vinny is not going to give you Vinny Duber. At Vinny Duber will give you Vinny Duber. He's the CHGO White Sox beat writer. At Eckenroll23 is where you can follow Herb Lawrence, the CHGO White Sox community leader. I'm Sean Anderson. You can follow me on Twitter at Sean underscore W underscore Anderson. At Fonzie. And Fonzie, yeah. yeah. I, I had a tennis ball that I turned on a light. Uh, I did not know that I had that power, but hey, <laughs> you know, it comes through. Uh, thank you to Stephen Nicholas for your production. Thank you to everyone for hanging out with us in the live chat, and we will talk to you tomorrow. Go White Sox, and thank you to Fleetwood Max for their 1979 album, Tusk. Bye.